The button's red. Oh! We're recording? We're, rec <laughs> we're recording. I thought so. <laughs> they change the game with how they play. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's as nice to watch. Mm. I like seeing people get hurt. <laughs> I love seeing guys' knees twist in half. Is the Barbie doll holding the BB gun the and Barbie riding the bike? The Barbie doll is the BB gun and the <laughs> fucking bike, dude. <laughs> this, this bike has four <laughs> limbs and its mouth shoots pellets. Your I first instinct is to run. <laughs> I want one. But you can look away from it. Why, hello, whoever may be listening to this. What's going on? This is a podcast called Dichotomy. We're gonna try and we're gonna try and learn how to teach and maybe even teach how to learn. Um, we're gonna give each other feedback on what we what we disseminate to the other person. Yeah. Just for everyone listening out there, um, Samantha Herrick, my girlfriend, is the host of this podcast, and and I, I have my lovely co-host Tyler Coles, my lovely boyfriend, partner in crime, best friend. Oh, crime! How we doing, dude? We're doing good. It's a uh, Monday afternoon. It is. It's Valentine's Day Eve. Oh, damn. Yeah. Saucy. Yeah, this is pretty crazy. All right, so we haven't actually told each other what we're going to teach well, each wait, other about wait. tonight. Do we have to introduce like what, who we are and like what, what we do a little bit? Should we do that? Yes. <laughs> uh, I can go first. Uh, so let's see. I am a architectural and design nerd at heart. Um... I have my bachelor's. I mean, basically. Basically. I have my bachelor's and master's in architecture. Um, and I have a passion for video production, all things design, and just making some cool shit. So that's mostly my background. What about you, bro? Um, I So I'm Tyler Coles. I, we went to the same school, um, Wentworth Institute of Technology. Highly recommend that school. Super great stuff. Uh, I got my bachelor's in biological engineering, and I've been working in um, DNA synthesis, uh, genetic engineering um, since then. So I'm I'm a tinker at heart, though. I I love getting my hands dirty and going out into a shop and working on motorcycles or 3D printers or you know just making shit. Um, and right now we're kind of sticking with that spirit and making a, uh, a podcast right now. Yeah, because we get into these, we find ourselves getting into these conversations that like we wish we would have recorded just because they're so interesting and they're so fun. So we're going to explain the podcast a little bit. Our best conversations are when they go into an avenue that you don't think they'll go down. And we just love communicating and we kind of pride ourselves on our communication basis that we've set. We are, we've been together five years now. So we've nailed down our communication fairly well, I would say. And so it's just really fun just to talk to each other. And we want to help verse the other person in things that we are passionate about. So pretty much what it'll be is every episode, I'm going to pick a topic and then Tyler will pick a topic. And then I'm going to sort of teach Tyler about said topic that I appreciate a lot. And then he's going to do the same to me. And then at the end, we're going to kind of compare them and see like what dichotomies can emerge from the two topics or conversations or avenues of conversation or whatever. So this is going to be pretty interesting. Are you ready? 
Who's going first? I don't know. How do we decide this? Should we do like rock, paper, scissors or something? Right. <laughs> okay, ready? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Tie. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Tie. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. She doesn't know that I only go scissors. Let's try it again. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Fuck. Okay, I, I, I lost. just said that I only go scissors. Guys, I threw scissors four times. We've been over this. My brain and hands don't work very well together. I just don't think you wanted to go first. Oh, okay. If you, you can, you can choose to see it that way. If you what are you gonna teach me about today, bro? So this one appeals to you specifically. Ooh, okay. This is an early Valentine's Day treat. <gasps> so for everyone listening out there, I hate organized sports. I am a total anti-sports person. I I really just, you know, I don't like watching televised sports. I'll go to sporting events, you know. Um, but today, I, so a little bit about me with my background. I was a soccer player for years and years and years and years growing up. Um, and I had stopped playing after a certain point due to too many head injuries, but... After that, I picked up refing and coaching um, because I love teaching people, you know, and, and officiating the game and making sure people were safe and everything. So today, I'm going to disseminate a little bit about how to make an awful youth soccer team, a team that has never won before and that has no chance of going anywhere, really, into a team that actually is, you know, worth their weight. Whoa, how fascinating. Oh my goodness. Is this like a feel guide for like some coach who just has <laughs> just an unorganized, messy team of 10-year-old boys who needs to get to states? Or is this like high school, college level? What do you think? Or just in general, maybe? You know, I think that the strategy works. Um, you need First off, you need line refs to do their job with this because the strategy that will save an awful team probably not past high school but at that point you either are good or you stop playing because there are more important things <laughs> um so this is a strategy for the younger teams out there and all those struggling coaches with the um the youth teams got it got it they need to start playing the offside trap what is that so there is this rule in soccer where Okay, let me paint the picture. So you have two nets on the field at either end of the field. You have a goalie that stands in either net. And all the players kind of play in between. So you have this gap between the last player from the team that's defending their goal and the goalie from that team. And if you have player from the opposite team that is standing between the last defending player and the goalie and their team passes them the ball they are offside um which what happens when that event occurs is the ref will blow their way the line judge will hold their flag straight up you know really proud to let the center ref know that there was a uh, an offsides call center ref will blow his whistle and the play stops and the defending team gets to get a free kick from the point which the other player received the ball. Or, um, 
Actually, I think it's from the line where, like, from the last depend- defending player. Um, I can't remember specifically, but that's not important. A free kick when you're when you get so the reason why this strategy is so powerful is because you turn the situation from an enemy being in a dangerous position with a ball right in front of goal. You know, it's just them and the goalie into a situation where your team gets a a free kick to set up the field however they want to and try and move forward. Wait, so the the defending team has to get the offensive team to mess up. Yeah. Essentially. And it's really easy because all of these strikers out there, they want to score. They want to <laughs> run towards the goal with the ball and blast it in the back of the net and be the next Lionel Messi. <laughs> they do. They're some speedy dudes. Yeah. They're also kind of arrogant because mm. what you can do, it's really easy to read when someone on the other team is going to make a long Hail Mary kick to that one striker, you know, or those two strikers that are up. Uh, by your by your last man of defense, because um, strikers are normally taught canonically to be with that last man. You know, it's like you want to be as close to being offsides as possible without being offsides. Um, huh. And that that works really well when they aren't offside, because you know they get a break, they get to run at goal, and they maybe get to score. But when it doesn't work well, everyone hates them. <laughs> Wait. Who hates who? Their team, the strikers team, hates them because they because they were too overzealous and too excited and yeah. didn't control themselves. It's hard to get an opportunity like that, and they blew it. Mm. So that also decreases morale of the striker. And mm-hmm. if you have a striker that doesn't feel good about themselves, they're gonna not play very well. Which is oh. really good for the team that's playing the offside trap. Of course. <clears throat> so right. then, okay, if. Oh. So then, uh, <laughs> for background on me, I did not play soccer in school. I was a skier and I played softball, so I have no idea how the game of soccer works. So, you know how, I know a little bit about the sport, though, but you know how, like, there's the corner versus the free kick? Is does the Do they decide that based upon the penalty or the severity of the penalty? Um... Do they decide that based upon... No. So the corner kick only... So there are... The soccer field is a square. It's actually a rectangle. (laughs) Um, The sides of the field near the goals are shorter. And the sides of the field... um, Like the actual sides of the field are longer. So if the ball goes over the short sides of the field, um, it's either going to be a goal kick or a corner kick, depending on who touched the ball last. If the defending team touches the ball last... Oh. And it goes over the line near their goal. Right. It's a corner kick. Fascinating. Simple reasoning for something that seems to be complicated, but isn't really complicated. Yeah, you ju- it's just a game where it's a cube and you kick the ball around inside of it. And you got to figure out what happens when the ball goes outside of the cube <laughs> or the rectangle. Jesus <laughs> Kick ball in cube. So anyway. <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry. The power of the offside trap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me more. You got to have a solid defense and it's easy to be good defenders you know all you got to do is either like tackle the guy that's running at your goal you know knock him down get the ball get get danger out you know you'll eat a yellow card or a red card you know depending on how bad things are but a red card can sometimes be better than a goal scored on you so really Depen- well isn't a red card doesn't you lose that, a like, player 
For the whole game? Yeah, for the rest of the game. Does but he if suspend them for games in the future? Uh, if they're at a high enough level, but oh. no one really paid so attention. So not really? Yeah, no. Gotcha. No one checks. Okay. Okay. Um, Wait. Oh, that's a whole other conversation then. Like why a red card would be more well, uh, favorable than a yellow. Well, it's more favorable than a goal against you. You know, oh, if you're gonna oh, commit oh, a foul oh, oh, that is a like a red card you. offensible, you know, you're, you're basically like putting yourself in a position where you could hurt hurt someone got else it, pretty got badly. It, got it. That's but, like you know, game that, loss versus one player loss. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So 90th minute, if yep. you if you have me in front of goal and I can <laughs> kick the shit out of some guy to stop him scoring goal, you yeah, know, you're gonna do it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Sorry, that, that guy. <laughs> I've been that guy. I've been that guy that gets the shit kicked out of him though, as well. So I, I know it goes both ways. Well, you also were like eleven, playing with like fifteen-year-olds. So that's that's kind of part of the issue too. No, I was thirteen with seventeen-year-olds. Thirteen with seven. Oh, that's scarier. No, I was faster. Well, yeah, but like the seventeen-year-olds like are just angry. Just imagine Tom and Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> you were Jerry. Jerry always gets away. Sometimes, sometimes I didn't though. Um, I got, I got, got a few too many times bunks. pretty good. You would have um, got pro, bro. I, no, would have got pro. I don't think that. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I didn't get into professional sports. Yeah, that's okay. That's a messy world to get into. <laughs> get it? <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> messy. <laughs> I, did that on, I did that on purpose. I did that on purpose. Just kidding. Can I talk about the offside? Yeah. Sorry. Again? Sorry. Go. So what you do when you're the defending team is you have like my team played with three or four defenders, normally four defenders. Um, cause it's important to have enough people in the back, you know, to stop, uh, uh, offensive, offensive place. Um, so what you do, you have one guy that's slightly further back than the rest of them. And the striker is going to stick with that guy, you know, only like four or five feet further back than the rest of the line. And that guy who the striker is sticking with, his job is to, when he sees someone going for a Hail Mary kick at the other side of the field, he pushes the striker backwards and he runs forwards. So the striker is in between him and the goalie. You know, you don't, it's not like a straight arm shove or anything, but you just like. It's like a good old body bump. It could be anything. You don't, if, wow. the, if the striker isn't aware, you don't even need to touch him. You know, if they're just looking at the ball. They, because they, they're ready to run towards the goal. You're uh-huh. ready to run away from the goal. So they're just solely concentrated on that ball coming at their feet, that they don't even realize where they are. Like kind spatially. Of, yeah. Think about wow. like a dog chasing a ball. You know, <laughs> hyperfixation. Wow, fascinating. So, yeah, then uh, that that has saved. I was on this team. Mm-hmm. We were a B team instead, not an A team. We were a B team. We were okay. like young and we were trash but i was put on that team because my dad was the coach as well Mm. um and the guys on that team were awesome they were a lot of fun um just a bunch of little hoodlums you know that weren't that (laughs) great but enjoyed playing you know Yeah, yeah, yeah um and we weren't cohesive as a team because we had never played together before Mm. um and it was it was rough for a little bit, but then my dad, credit to him, he started playing the offside trap. Gotcha. And that that was revolutionary. You know, it turned up <laughs> us from being like a zero and ten team 
into like winning 50% of the games that we played because most of the time, mm-hmm. like we only need to score one goal. Right. Well, because I guess the offside trap would, I'm just going to very bluntly say the reasoning. So it's, so you see some guy loading up to kick it all the way down. The strike, you kind of take advantage of how the striker isn't all the way paying attention to where they are spatially. And then that would save your team from having to, or your team would then rather defend a offside or corner kick rather than having to come back with a goal and win. We don't even right? need to defend the offsides or the corner kick because when the other team is offsides, yeah, we get that free kick. Oh, <gasps> oh! So it turns into them basically that's being right. an open goal to us having a kick against them. Oh, and that's huge. Gotcha. It only works for a few times. The strikers oh. smarten up, you know, mm. and then and that, but that forces the team <clears throat> that you're playing against to. They have to crumble your entire team structure to get to the other end and score. Oh, gotcha. Um, Oh, fascinating. But yeah, there are a few quirks to the strategy as well. You know, the other team will start doing it to you as well. (laughs) Um, Oh, no. And the field starts to pack up towards the middle. Oh. Which is cool. It makes for a lot of interesting, really fast soccer, especially when you have young kids on a smaller field. Yeah. Strikers run the most. <laughs> Strikers run the most. Strikers normally. run the most. Yeah. Okay. Because they're chasing the ball, you know. Ball. Head on a swivel, chasing the swivel. ball. Swivel. Or if they're a really good striker, they'll run the least. Oh. Yeah. You know, they just play. It, they play it cool for because if you think about it, mm-hmm. five seconds wins wins a game. That's also true. If you're a striker, you can just chill out, you know, not run too hard up by the defense. The defense gets comfy with you. They're like, oh, this guy isn't too fast. <laughs> and then you get a Hail Mary ball where, oh. or like a really good pass where you're not offside and then you make a break and you're like. Whoa. Oh, so you just would just like unload. So you kind of hide your speed. Oh, yeah. Oh, Until you see that perfect opportunity. I never thought of soccer as being a a sport that's capable of using, like, deceitful tactics to win. I don't know why. That just never crossed my mind. Well, yeah. I feel like soccer kind of is good with the invisible injuries. Kind of like how, well, football injuries aren't very invisible. But (laughs) you could see some guy's ankle bent, like, 180 degrees. But... From all the injuries that I've heard from soccer, it's either like ankle stuff, knee stuff, or head stuff. Usually. Or concussions is big because there's just like no protection in the sport. So it just it just happens a lot. Even protection doesn't really do much for concussions. Like look at the people in the NFL. They have all mm-hmm. that shit on. It's mm-hmm. just for show. Yeah, and it still happens. Literally, yeah. dude, it's just for show. <laughs> it's just for show. Yeah. The real way to prevent <coughs> concussions is neck strengthening exercises, which no one does. Oh, next? Maybe it's because you would look like a f- freaking weirdo doing the <laughs> yeah, you neck exercise. You have to exercise. wear a hat that has weights <laughs> on it, and you're like, a crank in your neck. Make awkward eye contact <laughs> with everyone, like, yeah. So, yeah, you know what we're doing. You know what this is. <laughs> My neck's huge, bro. Can that really help with reducing concussions? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, big time. Because well, it stops your... It's just your brain rattling, or rattling around in your skull. Yeah, but if your head doesn't move that much because your neck is really strong and oh, it holds it in place, you know? Gotcha. This is now also a brain health podcast. 
How much time did you spend on social media today? Mm. It's over three hours. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's so hard. An hour and 47 minutes, actually. On social media entirely? Mm-hmm. Or just Instagram? <laughs> no, Instagram was only six minutes today. <laughs> and TikTok then, was an hour and a half. <laughs> TikTok was 51 minutes. <laughs> I'm not proud of myself. <laughs> I hope, I'm not proud of it. And I'm, we're working on it. It's okay. I smoke crack, so I'm just as bad. <laughs> he doesn't smoke crack, I promise. It's he crack would, light. It's no. Walter White. <laughs> Walter White. Shush up over here. Do you wanna? Do you wanna? Do you wanna talk about your shit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna get really nerdy. Are you ready to get really nerdy? Nerdy. 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 Because I think I've only told you a little bit about this. Um kind of stuff but there's a lot of sort of details in it which is really nerd cool. alert <laughs> it's really cool and really fascinating okay i'm gonna teach you about hidden symbolism in architecture and power structures <gasps> the audience goes silent <laughs> he looks like he wants to kill me okay so <laughs> so my senior year of college i wrote a paper about sort of power in architecture and symbolisms like such as hidden meanings um within like super influential works of architecture like uh the city of rome uh paris and washington dc to get even nerdier the paper was titled deciphering washington dc's cultural architectural and political legitimacy a sequential stylistic examination of the free world's capital city's architecture politics and organization so you're probably like, well, okay, bruh, the heck does that mean? Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> You're gonna tell me? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. So pretty much I was analyzing where American Analyzing <laughs> <laughs> where American political architecture came from and if it was an actual genuine new world order design palette, or if it was pretty much copied from already great cities and civilizations like Rome and Paris. Um Were they great? I think so. Absolutely. Are you kidding? That Okay, that's pretty much what we're going to talk about, right? So I, you know, my personal opinion was that America's architecture doesn't really need to be its new own sort of stylistic set of assets because America is like a melting pot of cultures and people and it's the land of the free. So it's like it's okay that there are a lot of different uh, stylistic precedents within it, which is really cool. Some more background for me, too. Um, As a kid, I was lucky enough to travel a lot. Um, And D.C. was one of my family's sort of favorite cities to go to. So, And my family and I are all history buffs. So it was a perfect place for, like, my parents to bring prepubescent kids to explore the country's (laughs) infrastructure and architecture. I want to teach you about sort of other types of symbolisms in the world's most influential architectural precedents. So you're going to tie this all together. You're going to teach us about the symbolism and parts of the architecture that were existing in the other parts of the world besides America around around America's formation or like way before that. Because Rome, yeah, Rome. Yeah, a little bit of history on what architectural symbolism means and some of my favorites and kind of how to dissect them yourself. First, 
I think it's important to acknowledge the world that you sort of find yourself in or like the built environment around you is what shapes everything about how you interact with your infrastructure and supports your daily life. So everything's designed for a reason. Absolutely everything. Also, we can sort of plug 99% Invisible by Roman Mars and Kurt Kolstad. Amazing book. Amazing podcast. If this stuff, if you like to geek out about this stuff, this is what that whole podcast is about. And Tyler and I love it so, so much. So um, a lot of this passion sort of was inspired by them too. So they are just awesome journalists and amazing designers. But anyway, you know, it's like architects and designers take their time to uh, make sure the conceptual and sort of spiritual aspects of each project impact the consumer as much as the build exactly when they're done well sometimes they're done really bad <laughs> what's the problem with architects dude and urban planners none of them um, fucking dude look at boston literally garbage boston? garbage <laughs> infrastructure we have fucking giant <laughs> caterpillar slugs that make their way through the streets every well, day you know, well it's so hard because if you look if you were to look at like a, a city plan of boston back bay is pretty rectangular and it's pretty you know like over by New- newberry street and fenway that's all pretty rectangular and pretty well organized. But then it's when you get into the North End um, and all up in downtown and up in there where the winding streets are still there. And that's where the Why infrastructure are rectangles more gets organized? Um, I just feel because like circles would be better. <laughs> circles? They have more surface area. Well, if you think about it, buildings are square. Not every single building is, but that's just a general archetype of design and building i am personally a big fan of a certain type of structure a circular structure that is circular Hmm. you like columns then big column guy i'm a big yurt guy bro (laughs) big yurt guy we love a yurt we love we stayed at a yurt once in nova scotia like about a year ago it was great okay now we're gonna get into some fun facts so um Interestingly enough, um, a lot of the most like sort of notable uh, precedents about symbolic architecture coincide with astrological elements of our universe, which is pretty cool. So, um, for example, the shape of the star, it's a sort of powerful natural symbol was found in decorative patterns in almost all peoples. And the geometry of a star carries a powerful energy charge being an element of sort of sacred geometry or whatever. Um, hey, don't fuck with my boy sacred geometry. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to sacred geometry. <laughs> is that like a form of biomimicry? Yeah, it, it exactly is. Most natural forms are um, derived off of that sort of stuff. So it's no coincidence that sort of fortresses, mostly because each, you know, each point is a sort of protected uh built thing that then goes to one point so there's no uh no blind spots and there's no front or back of said fortress so it's just an all around instead of circular um it's just an all-around better uh sort of design strategy um another sort of smaller well larger scale one i should say um the (laughs) this one kind of blew my mind actually i found this one out the relative position of the giza pyramids And the Nile River corresponds to the star's arrangement in the belt of Orion and the Milky Way. Is that a coincidence? Or maybe they did it on purpose. 
Don't get me started. <laughs> hey guys, aliens, check out my boy, Alex Jones. Shout out to Alex Jones. Make the frogs gay. Make <laughs> the frogs gay. Oh my God. The aliens, dude. They're poisoning our water streams. Or in Roman architecture itself, there's this just general desire to build for the gods, right? If we go way back, uh, Virgil himself might have been just responsible for Roman architecture um, because uh, Jupiter's prophecy to Venus in his first book of the Aeneid uh, sort of starts by promising a city. Um, in the English translation from Latin is you will see a city and the promised walls of Lavinium. So sort of therefore promising a sort of eternal empire. And the Romans used the Aeneid almost like their Bible, but not really because it tells the story of Ramius and Remus and how Rome was built and all that fun stuff. So they're like, well, we need to fulfill our own prophecy then. We need to build this empire into existence. And they did. <laughs> so what a great method of population <laughs> control. <laughs> right? This guy wrote one story and they're like, oh, we must, we must. Well, um, it's such a tantalizing story as well and it's within reach. You mm-hmm. know, It's like they could do it. Mm-hmm. And it could be it. They don't know if it's going to be the eternal city until after they've built it. Yeah, that's a mind virus. Yeah, it's something that you cannot, you cannot <clears throat> purge from your brain until you see the conclusion. So now, if we sort of jump to DC, people or a lot of designers have speculated that it kind of emulates the astrological constellation Virgo. Three of the most prominent stars within the Virgo constellation. Um, are said to be the nation's capital, the Washington Monument, and the White House. So, as you know, the capital and the monument, the Washington Monument, are on um, are on the National Mall, and then the White House is just north of those two things. Um, so the stars, for any astro- astro- astrological geeks out there, are Arcturus, Regulus, and Spica. I don't know if <laughs> if anyone would do that, but so I looked into it a little bit more because I thought this was kind of interesting, and I was interested why Virgo was so special. Um, and Virgo is an Earth sign, historically represented by the goddess of wheat and agriculture. Wait, were the Romans were they astrology girls? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. No. I know. I know they were. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they fell. Yeah, they, they did. Their sign was ri- was actually a falling sign instead of a rising <laughs> sign. Rip. <laughs> Rip. Um, but the sign Virgo. Um, Shout out Virgo. <laughs> represented by a goddess of wheat and agriculture, which is pretty much how, you know, the country was uh, sort of kicked off through our agricultural systems and industrial systems. Um, I thought it was through the British... Well, I mean, how we sort of got ourselves off the ground, you know? It was like a deep-rooted presence in the sort of material world that we needed to sort of kick ourselves off. So that so that's kind of like the Roman story where it's like we're mm-hmm. the prophesized nation, we got to build the city. They're like, "Uh, oh, we're the we're the productive nation, we got to produce all this shit." Mhm. So like the Declaration of Independence was signed in 1776, as we all know. Um and the National Mall was designed in 1791. Uh, by Pierre L'Enfant. So, 
pretty much the declaration went off and everyone was like, all right, let's go. Let's put this together. Let's design something. We got to be the best empire in the world. So it's very similar to how Rome was sort of structured and, you know, sort of built themselves up. Just a smaller scale example of some sort of hidden symbolism in D.C. So we talk a little bit about um, D.C. and kind of how that is structured because um, they're astrology ladies. Um, and then we're going to go to my favorite memorial in D.C., the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, designed by Maya Lin. It is just absolutely brilliant. Um, the architecture is not bold. It is built within the land. If you haven't been, you should definitely go. But each end of the ramp sort of slams down to a center point um, that is level with the natural topography of the National Mall. So it sort of hides uh, from the grandness of the U.S., just like how everything is so big and white. You know, that whole Vietnam War controversy um, is really built into the architecture. So that is super fascinating. Um, but then, you know, as you enter um, the memorial, the architecture forces you to sort of read the names. Like, as you go down, the walls, the wall itself stays level and sort of grows. So they're two opposite things. And the deeper into the memorial you get, the more names that you see. So it's like you could walk in five feet and you would see five to ten rows of names. And then you get even further and your eye level could be at row eight of names, and there could be 50 rows of just countless names above you. So it's, and it's deep, <clears throat> it's deep rooted into that soil. So it's just, it's, it's so amazing because it forces you to look at the vastness and the brutal reality of what the Vietnam War did to people in the country. Um, and the architecture forces you to feel that. Kind of gives you the slow burn. Cause yeah. it's like at first yeah. you're like, okay, here are a few names. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, and it's like, it's like fucking dead people as well. So it's not like you can be like, nah, this is, this ain't shit, bro. I can, I'm just going to leave after I, you, you're going to stay there and you're going to keep walking down and you're yeah. going to go through it. And it grips you more and more the further down you go. Exactly. And it just has to get to a point where you're like, where you really understand the depth of the loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a few articles have said that uh, the architecture sort of acts as a scar that didn't fully heal in the sort of U.S.'s soil, which is pretty fascinating, which I liked a lot. I mean, a scar is something that didn't heal. It's it's also a reminder. Mm-hmm. It's a reminder, for sure. There's just so many names in there. Um, <clears throat> but another sort of really cool detail is... The Viet the memorial is shaped in a V, right? So each end of the memorial like shoots you, like you as a user, to another memorial in the National Mall. So one side uh, shoots you straight to the Washington Monument, and then the other shoots you to the Lincoln Memorial.
Alright, you need more cheer? It's Christmas time, baby, and you're opening the biggest present you've ever seen. What is it? It's a bicycle and a BB gun and a Barbie <laughs> doll. All formed together into one vicious pink power machine. Is the Barbie doll holding the BB gun the and Barbie riding the bike? The Barbie doll is the BB gun and the <laughs> fucking bike, dude. <laughs> This bike has four <laughs> limbs and its mouth shoots pellets. Your I first want. instinct is to run. I want one. But you can look away from it. <laughs> okay, that was funny. Okay. Okay. This next example is not related to DC at all. This one is just really cool. Um, so um as Tyler knows, but as who's I was listening to this doesn't know. I was in Dallas this past weekend uh, with some two very good friends of mine. Um, and the first day we were there, we went and did all of the JFK stuff where he got got, unfortunately. Um, November 22nd, 1963. Um, but we figured while we're there, we might as well go to the JFK Memorial. Um, and it's the memorial is designed as a floating tomb on one end of the memorial and you're reading this sort of um, placard that's put there. Uh, the topography or the land that it's built on is built up to uh, the tomb itself. So it, it sort of makes it look like um, the pillar, uh, like the the plaster pillars are floating. To tell you what it kind of describe, kind of what it looks like, it's just a rectangular shape of these probably twenty foot tall. Is it phallic in nature? No. <laughs> these giant dicks sticking all. out of the water. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. There's seventy two of these massive plaster pillars that are just uh, stacked, you know, very close together um, that make a rectangle on this site and in the middle there's two openings on either side of the smaller ends of the rectangle which are the entrances and then there are i think it's eight yeah are eight support pillars which are also in this lining of um, pillars that are the actual support pillars um, and then there are also these 176 sort of dots or circles that are on the surface entrances and the ends of the structure. So it's very tall. Um, and it's encapsulated, which is really cool. So as you walk through, uh, there's this also really nice metal, uh, just sort of John F. Kennedy. Um, Was he 44 years old? Um, I don't know. 176 divided by four. Good. See? Okay. This is good where you're going with it, but that's not... Not quite right because we, so <laughs> one of the really good friends that I went to went to school with me actually. So we're both uh, architecture nerds. So we were like, mm, there has to be a reason that there's 72 pillars and there has to be a reason that there's 176 dots or circles on this thing. So we did some digging and 72 columns is symbolic for the 72 hours from when JFK got off the plane in Love Field in Texas to when the eternal flame was lit in Arlington Cemetery in his honor after he was assassinated, which is super cool. So, um, and then the 176 was a bit hard for us to figure out. It was a bit more niche. 
um, and contains a bit more sort of complicated hidden meaning. But we looked it up and did did some digging, did some research. And the very first FBI mandated file is titled MD-176. And this file is a memorandum from November 22nd, 1963, containing information about the events of the assassination. So it's the first government document involving the assassination. How cool is that? And that's crazy that that's the FBI so cool. were trying to cover their tracks so early on mm-hmm. from their assassination attempt because they didn't like JFK. Here we go. The FBI murdered him. How many shooters were there? One. Really? Yeah. That's what you think? Three shots from one window. You really think that that guy had that good name from I, that far out? I honestly don't know what I believe because Lee Harvey Oswald is an idiot, in dude. my opinion. And it's like, there's no way he could assassinate someone like that. So that's dude. where it's a bit confusing. But when the government scheduled the hit against the <laughs> president, <laughs> that's not what happened, Tyler. <laughs> you can think all you want, but that's not what happened. I know it's not. I what was happened. there. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> I Listen, was there. I was JFK. <laughs> I saw him. I was a pa- in a past life. I think there's more to do with like Jack Ruby in that whole situation. Who's Jack Ruby? <sighs> okay. So Lee Harvey Oswald obviously is the guy who was convicted. Well, not convicted, Framed. but he was <laughs> he was arrested for the assassination <laughs> of the 35th president, <laughs> JFK. Um, but... A few days later, Jack Ruby was the guy who stormed um, Lee Harvey Oswald and the FBI when they were moving him and shot him and killed him. And Jack Ruby was never convicted or was never like arrested. Or well, I think he, he was got arrested. away or he okay. he was arrested, but he was never like indicted or something. So he just got off scot free. But he also was a mob boss. So people think there are a lot of mob ties in the assassination. I think you're right, though, that there probably were two shooters. And they missed one of them. Or they never got to the second one. But I don't know, man. Lee Harvey Oswald seemed, like, too stupid or too... Or maybe he was just a sociopath who was really good at lying. Me first. You first? So, Okay. analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to talk about how, how these guys might be related. And different. And different. So yeah. first off, all right, my dichotomy, feel free to interrupt me when you figure out what symbolism is, but my, my the thing that I want to draw attention to in the ways that um, symbolic uh, representation of larger things uh, in architecture to the offside trap is... <laughs> That's so funny. They're both winning mechanisms. Oh, yeah, they are. If you think yeah. about it, like if we if we were able to mimic more of the natural world with architecture, we would have a more we would have a world. So architecture is really how we exist in this world, right? We have to exist through the buildings that we inhabit and the places that we venture and spend our time in. Um and they kind of architecture and the buildings that are designed through it are, are the conduits for which we experience almost 100% of our lives. Um, and that's fucked up considering we are natural organisms that did not evolve to be, you know, like stationary for 
20 hours a day in a square cube. Um, so if we could have houses that symbolized, you know, how, how, how we, that were adapted to us so that we did not have to adapt to our architecture, you know, that would be, that would be a winning strategy. I guess that's also something that we need to do. We need to adapt to the move or to, to, we need to adapt what we're doing to who we are. Kind of like how the team that played off sides needs to adapt their play style to the people that they're playing against. But also it's a winning strategy and you're finding, a so if, if you have, I'm going to compare this, say that the two teams that are playing each other in soccer are two organisms. There's offside organism and there's attacking organism. <laughs> if offside organism recognizes that attacking organism is going to try and attack, you know, and they 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 understand their opponent, and then they pull the offside maneuver, which is what they're built to do to counteract their opponent. Then that's a um that's a that's a winning strategy as well because they are they are playing in a way that is oh God, how do i talk how do i tie this together they are playing <laughs> in a way that is symbolic to the strategies in place just like how symbolic architecture is playing a strategy that is already present in our world mm-hmm. and and using it to its advantage because it works <laughs> it's in our world it, it nature made it. it it's there for a reason you know mm. okay Okay. Grasping for straws, but I pulled some Th- out. This one's hard to try and to try and sort of compare. I was gonna sort of say, um, kind of. I don't think deceit is the right word because I think deceit is too negative. But I mean, can I step in for a second? Yes, please, please. That dude in Rome convinced mm. these fucking idiots to build a city <gasps> with a story. Oh, deceitful And bitch. we convinced our nation to be a powerhouse and for people to, you know, just like spend their lives toiling so that this nation that they lived in would be prosperous. But that ended up building up the the nation state that we live in now, which mm-hmm. is a, only trying to keep itself alive instead of taking care of the populace. Also and true. It needs to die. And Destroy all nations. The... <laughs> The JFK Memorial is a bit deceitful just because it just looks like it's floating. Yeah. And it just has all these pillars there that you're like, eh, and there's just pillars. It doesn't mean anything. Or all those dots. Or so, I don't know what to call them because they're pretty big. They're Hidden like, in plain sight. Hidden in plain sight. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So hidden in plain sight and a lot of people working together to make that meaning hidden. With, so- with the offside trap, it makes sense that you would want to hide the reasoning. But for some architecture, well, form because, determines function. Right, because when we figured out the seventy-two and one seventy-six for the JFK Memorial, we were so excited and so stoked. So that feeling is really cool. Um, How do we end this? How do we end this podcast? I don't know. Let's, I'm going to give a thank you to all of our future listeners that come back and, you oh know, start God. listening from episode one. And watch this catastrophe of a first episode. Well, no, this is pretty good. This was fun. We have we have pretty professional recording equipment. We're going to edit this to be, you know, great. Um, 
Yeah. I say we, but Sam's going to edit it. <laughs> I'm going to edit this. It's going to be much, much, um, much shorter than it is right now. And there will always be some meaning that you can take away and use to shape the world into a better place. Um, you can use your perspective to view what we disseminate and discuss and teach how you wish. Take away what you want, leave behind what you don't. But in the end, there will always be something that we talk about. No matter what, based on anyone's perspective, that you, the listener, can take away and use to make the world a better place. That should be our slogan. Make the world a better place. That's fucking... Kind of like how Tim, at his video, say, tell somebody you love them. Um, Okay. No, I think that that's cheesy. Um, Make the world a better place? Destroy all nations. (laughs) No. (laughs) Come on. That would be making the world a better place. Make the world a better place. Destroy all nations. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, We're going to keep doing these because these are fun. They'll get better and they'll get smoother as we go along. Okay. Met the world a better place. Love Love you guys. Bye. Bye.